Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study, where we look at the Gospel reading for today's Mass. And today we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. So as always, we will go through the text and then we'll have a go at doing an exegesis of the text. What does it really mean on the most fundamental level? This particular text is not particularly well known, so uh, you might learn some new things from today's episode. So John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. After Jesus had decided to leave for Galilee, he met Philip and said, follow me. Philip came from the same town, Bethsaida, as Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, the one about whom the prophets wrote. He is Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. From Nazareth, said Nathanael, can anything good come from that place? Come and see, replied Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming, he said of him, There is an Israelite who deserves the name, incapable of deceit. How do you know me, said Nathanael. Before Philip came to call you, said Jesus, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus replied, You believe that just because I said, I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. And then he added, I tell you most solemnly, you will see heaven laid open, and above the Son of Man, the angels of God ascending and descending. So what's the context of this passage? We're at the end of John chapter 1. So if we have our understanding of the timing correct, that it appears that Jesus has been baptized, he's been tempted in the wilderness, and now he's spending some time in the region of Perea, where John is baptizing. That, that's where he has been, he's been in the Perea area. And we've just heard before this the origin story of Peter and Andrew, when they first encounter Jesus. Now, this is even before Jesus has begun his official ministry. He hasn't begun his ministry yet, he's just starting to get some followers and starting to attract attention in the region of Perea. Verse 43, after Jesus had decided to leave for Galilee, so now Jesus leaves Perea, which is in the south of Israel, and now he moves up to Galilee in the north, and that's where he spends most of his time. So he goes to Galilee, and there he meets Philip. Now, Philip would become one of Jesus' disciples. He's not one that's particularly well known. We don't hear a lot about him in the Synoptic Gospels, but he is mentioned a few times in the Gospel of John. That might indicate that the author of the Gospel of John, which is the probably the Apostle John, maybe he was somewhat close to Philip, and that's why he knows more about the events that Philip was involved in. That's just speculation, though. So Jesus meets Philip in Galilee, and he said to, G- to Philip, follow me. That's all he says to him. Now, it's likely that we just have a condensed version here. Probably Jesus said more than that to Philip, Maybe Philip had seen Jesus preach a few times, but then one day Jesus laid eyes on Philip and he said, follow me. And it's pretty similar to what he would later do to Matthew. That's what he says to Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. Interestingly, Philip is apparently the first disciple that Jesus calls directly. Although he's met uh, Peter and Andrew already, they only heard about him indirectly and they sort of approached Jesus to get more information about him. But here... 
Jesus locks eyes with Philip and says, follow me. Peter, uh, Philip immediately recognizes that this is the Messiah and he follows him. Verse 44, so the author of the um, book of John here says, Philip came from the same town at Bethsaida as Andrew and Peter. So we've already met Peter and Andrew and they've probably introduced earlier because Peter is of course the most important disciple. So everyone relates to him in some way. Now, this is interesting because a lot of people have looked at this and said, ah, here's a Bible contradiction because the other Gospels say that Peter lives in Capernaum. Peter and Andrew live in Capernaum. But here, John's Gospel very clearly says Peter and Andrew are from a place called Bethsaida. So which one is correct? Well, look at the language carefully. John says they're from Bethsaida. He doesn't say that they live in Bethsaida. So probably what's going on here is that Uh, Peter and Andrew live in Capernaum during Jesus' ministry, and possibly they live there just for work, uh, whereas their real hometown is Bethsaida, as John says. So that would be the way to reconcile it. They're from Bethsaida, but they live in Capernaum. Uh, Now, just out of interest, Bethsaida and Capernaum are actually quite close to each other. They're about five miles away. They're both around the Sea of Galilee, but they belong to different, different jurisdictions. So Bethsaida is on the east of the Jordan River, So it's in the territory of Herod Philip, whereas Capernaum is on the west side of the Jordan River, so it's in the territory of Herod Antipas. So Peter and Andrew, they're fishermen, so they would need their fish to be processed, that would be either air-dried or salted, uh, before it could be be sold outside the immediate area. And basically they needed to get get their fish through a fish factory. The main fish factory in the Sea of Galilee area was at Magdala, Magdala is in the same territory as Capernaum. So basically, if they want to do good business with their fish, they're going to need to go near Capernaum. So it makes sense that they would uh, move to live in Capernaum as fishermen. And there's more than that as well. So fishermen coming from Bethsaida, they have to bring their catch across the border. And when they do that, they would have to pay the tax. And therefore, there's actually a customs house at Capernaum. That's the one that Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, works at. There was a very significant border at Capernaum. And if fishermen crossed that border with their fish, they would have to pay a tax. So for all these reasons, uh, Peter and Andrew lived in Capernaum uh, when they were fishermen in order to avoid the tax and in order to avoid the other difficulties with having to go across the border all the time. So hopefully you find that illuminating. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. So now we get introduced to Nathanael. And Nathanael is probably the same apostle as Bartholomew. He's got two different names, which was quite common in that culture, actually. So apparently they're the same person. He might well be the least known apostle, Bartholomew. So apparently Philip and and Bartholomew or Nathanael are friends because as soon as Philip realizes he's found the Messiah, he goes straight to Nathanael. And this is what he says to Nathanael. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, the one about whom the prophets wrote. So Philip proclaims the Messiah has arrived, the one the whole Old Testament has been prophesying about. So here we have explicit confirmation that the Jews in Jesus' time believed that the whole Old Testament, even as early as Moses, made predictions about the coming Messiah. Sometimes you'll hear scholars, maybe uh, critical scholars, will say that the Jews in Jesus' time didn't know that uh, most of the Old Testament pointed towards the Messiah. Maybe the Christians just sort of read that into it later in history. Or maybe it was a second temple development. Well, here, 
Philip explicitly says even Moses has been talking about this man. So apparently it was a widespread belief that the entire Old Testament is pointing towards one figure who is to come. And he says to Nathanael, he is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, they didn't have last names or surnames in that culture. So most people were just called X, son of Y. So here we have Jesus, son of Joseph. And that's what Jesus was known as across most of Israel. Although interestingly, at Nazareth, he's known as Jesus, son of Mary. And there's some interesting reasons for that as well. So he tells Nathanael that this Jesus guy is from Nazareth. And then Nathanael says, from Nazareth? Can anything good come from that place? So Nathaniel is a bit skeptical. Why is that? Well, we can only guess really, but it seems that Nazareth was not particularly well regarded at that time. It was sort of a backwater town. It only had a population of around 300 people. So Nazareth is a very small town and he thinks that nothing nothing significant can come from Nazareth. He probably thinks it might come from uh, maybe Jerusalem, but not from Nazareth. And that's a theme that keeps coming up in the gospel. Later, the Jewish leaders say, how can this man be the Messiah? He's from Nazareth. So it's this theme that keeps coming up. And so this is Philip's response. Come and see. That's exactly what Jesus said to Peter and Andrew in the previous passage. So it's that same language, come and see. So Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael coming, he said of him. Now, to understand this next bit, we need to sort of read ahead a bit, we later learn that Jesus had seen Nathanael earlier, and when he saw Nathanael earlier, he apparently looked deep into Nathanael's heart, and he knew him intimately straight away. So at that first sight that Jesus saw Nathanael, Jesus knew Nathanael, and he knew that Nathanael was destined to become an apostle. So there's this quite beautiful intimacy here. So when Jesus saw Nathanael coming this time, He says, there is an Israelite who deserves the name, or some translations will say, behold, an Israelite indeed. Jesus earlier had looked into Nathanael's heart and had seen that this man is truly worthy of being called an Israelite. Now, not everyone in this time was worthy of the name, but Jesus says Nathanael is. He's a true Jewish person. And he adds on, he's incapable of deceit or duplicity. More literally there, what it says is, he is In him, there is no guile. We're not told why he's called that, but apparently it means that Nathaniel, according to Jesus, always tells the truth and he does not deceive people. This might echo Psalm 32, verse 2, which says this, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no guilt, in whom whose spirit is no deceit. So Jesus sees that that's Nathaniel and that impresses Jesus. Verse 48, Nathanael says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip came to call you, I saw you under the fig tree. So apparently when Jesus first saw him, Nathanael was sitting under a fig tree and that was a pretty common tree in Israel. Maybe he was sitting there to get some shade from the hot Israel sun. So Jesus saw him then and looked into his heart. Now, as soon as Jesus now says to Nathanael here, I saw you earlier under the fig tree, Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Now, that's a huge statement. In one breath, Nathanael recognizes that Jesus, he calls him two things. He's the king of Israel, which means Messiah, and son of God. This is very early on, even before Jesus starts his ministry, we have here Nathanael recognizing Jesus is the Messiah at a minimum. Now, this latter term, he calls him son of God. 
This could mean one of two different things. So he could be using it as a synonym for king of Israel. Maybe it means the same thing as king of Israel. That would make sense given the context because Old Testament kings in the Old Testament are often called sons of God. So if you look at 2 Samuel 7 verse 14 and then in some of the Psalms as well, the king of Israel is often called the son of God. They're made sons by covenantal adoption, the kings of Israel. So maybe that's what Nathaniel means here when he says, you are the son of God. Maybe he means you are the king that God has appointed. He could also mean it in the theological sense that we think of. He's literally the son of God. Now, that's something that Jesus only gradually reveals later. So maybe Nathaniel is the first person to recognize that Jesus is the son of God. For him to recognize that, he must be cooperating with God's grace. And that's pretty incredible. And if that's true, that means that Nathaniel is indeed a true Jew, as Jesus indicated, because he's open to the Spirit of God. Now, what triggered this whole reaction? Why did he all of a sudden go, wow, you're the son of God? Because all Jesus said was, I saw you under the fig tree. Something about that triggers uh, Nathaniel. What's so special about this idea of a fig tree? Well, It seems that Nathanael knows his Old Testament very well because there's some prophecies from the minor prophets which talk about the coming messianic age being related to fig trees. Particularly if you look at Zechariah chapter 3 verse 10 and then Micah chapter 4 verse 4, they both use the same language. They talk about how in the messianic age, neighbors will invite one another under their fig trees. And later Judaism had come to link these passages with the coming of the royal branch. That was a title they'd given for the Messiah. In fact, Zechariah uses that title for the Messiah. So they'd put together these various teachings of Zechariah and others and determined that there's a connection between the Messiah and fig trees. Now, it's possible that Nathaniel also made here a link with the word Nazareth, which Philip mentioned earlier, because the Hebrew word for branch is Nesta, And apparently Nazareth is named after the Hebrew word for branch. So maybe all of those things combined leads Nathanael to realize Jesus is the Messiah. So he says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus replied, you believe that just because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. So Jesus basically here says you ain't seen nothing yet. And that probably means Jesus knows Nathanael is going to become one of the apostles that follows him. He then finishes by saying this, I tell you most solemnly, or truly, truly, I say unto you. And now he's going to use this term son of man. Now that needs a bit of unpacking. This is the last of a series of successive titles, which have been progressively revealed for Jesus in chapter one. So if you read the gospel of John chapter one, there's all these different titles of Jesus mentioned. Lamb of God, obviously Jesus called, uh, John the Baptist calls him that. Son of God, Rabbi, Messiah is used of him. And then in today's passage, we have the one about whom Jesus wrote, King of Israel, and then finally, Son of Man. So all of these titles have apparently been building to Son of Man. And that's Jesus' preferred term for himself. The background for Son of Man is Daniel chapter 7. So Jesus doesn't invent this term, Son of Man. If you look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, it actually talks about this figure in heaven who's described as one like a son of man, who appears on the clouds and he receives God's everlasting universal kingship. So it's basically a royal title for the Messiah. 
And then some later Jewish writings that didn't make it into the Bible, so 1 Enoch and 4 Ezra, they both talk about the Son of Man as this pre-existing heavenly being who is going to come and exercise judgment at the end of time. So there's some quite interesting things that the Jews believed about the Son of Man. And now Jesus comes along and says, I'm the Son of Man. Interesting. So here's what he says now to Nathaniel. You will see heaven laid open and above the Son of Man, the angels of God ascending and descending. What it actually says here is the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. So there's a connection here between the angels and the Son of Man. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? So firstly, we have to say here that Jesus is alluding to Jacob's dream in Genesis 28 verses 11 to 15. So you might know Jacob's dream where he has the vision of the ladder. Jacob sees this great ladder that angels move up and down on between heaven and earth. And it seems that Jesus has taken this image that um, that Jacob sees in the Old Testament, the vision, and he puts himself, the son of man, into the vision. He says you'll see angels ascending and descending to heaven on the son of man. So the son of man is now in the vision. What does that mean? Why does Jesus say the Son of Man is involved in the angels ascending and descending from heaven? It could mean a few different things. Maybe Jesus here means the Son of Man is the place where heaven touches earth. Maybe he means the Son of Man is the gateway to heaven in a salvation sense. Maybe he means the Son of Man is God's dwelling place. And that would certainly fit with something John the Apostle said earlier in verse 14. Remember he said, Uh, God tabernacled amongst men. He dwelled amongst men in Jesus. So maybe that's what's meant. Maybe Jesus means the Son of Man will be the mediator through whom angels exercise their ministry. All of these might be intended by when Jesus paints this picture of the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, the word here, when he says, you will see heaven laid open, it's actually plural, you. So this is intended for all disciples. In the context of Nathaniel seeing this, when would Nathaniel see these things happening? You'll see heaven laid open. Well, this promise of Jesus to Nathaniel could be interpreted one of two different ways. It could be an exaggeration or hyperbole. Maybe Jesus means something like this. You will see amazing heavenly things in the next few years, and you will see me become the chosen one who brings heaven to earth. Maybe he means it symbolically. Maybe he's literally telling Nathaniel that he's actually going to see that vision. Because apparently at the ascension, something like that happened. There was angels ascending and descending just before the ascension. So either of those could be in view here. That is the end of today's passage, and it's the end of John chapter 1. So the very next thing that happens is the famous wedding of Cana at the start of John chapter 2. And that is only three days later, after this episode. That is read on the second Sunday of in ordinary time, in year C. So it's read once in the liturgical year, and then some countries also have it on January 6th or 7th, depending on um, how the dating of the Feast of the Epiphany works. But certainly, it's on the second Sunday in ordinary time, in year C. Let's now turn to the Catechism. What does the Catechism have to say about this passage? Paragraph 878 makes an interesting application here about what the role of priests is in the New Covenant, and how each priest is called individually. It says, It belongs to the sacramental nature of ecclesial ministry that it have a personal character. Although Christ's ministers act in communion with one another, they also always act in a personal way. 
Each one is called personally. You follow me in order to be a personal witness within the common mission, to bear personal responsibility before him who gives the mission, acting in his person and for other persons. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I absolve you. So there the catechism makes a really interesting point. It says that each of Christ's ministers, priests and bishops, in order for them to do their role effectively and in order for them to do things in the name of Jesus, they need to be called by Jesus personally, just as uh, Philip was in this passage. Otherwise, their ministry is not going to be effective. So that's a really interesting link to this text. That's the end of today's podcast. Hopefully you learned something new and we'll continue to move through the Gospels in the coming days.